Uh, anybody ever seen the movie Life? All right. Um, uh, this is not a movie recommendation. I got in trouble last time uh, I did that. Um, this is not a recommendation. But anyway, um, I like that movie. And I'm thinking of the specific scene where, um, you know, there's, uh, uh, there, there, there's a jail, right? And, the, you know, uh, these guys are basically captive and they're having to work. And um, the boss's daughter gets pregnant. And all these guys are standing in the line, and he's carrying the baby around, putting it up to all these guys, trying to figure out. And everybody starts saying, I'm the pappy. Everybody, person after person, starts saying, I'm that baby's pappy, boss. Uh, Happy Father's Day. That's what I thought about. So that's, that's my, uh, you guys are the pappies. Uh, so Happy Father's Day to you. Um, and let me just say for the men who... Uh, may not be fathers, but are pouring into other young men. Happy Father's Day to you. Um, That's been my story. I was raised by men who um, had uh, sons on their own, and they just took me into their families, and they raised me up in the faith. They showed me what marriage looked like, showed me what family looked like, showed me how godly men uh, should walk and live. And so thank you, men, who are doing that as well um, with kids who may not be your biological kids. Thank you. Uh, we're going to be in Jonah chapter 3. And before we do that, um, I have a couple of announcements for you. Church picnic is in a couple weeks, June 30th, 4.30 p.m. All the, the uh, um, things you need to know is in the bulletin there. Also, the Discover Seminar uh, will be July 14th, 3.30 to 5.30. You may say, what the heck is the Discover Seminar? That's our first step to membership. Uh, do you have to... Is membership mandatory once you take this class? No, but it gives you kind of a scope of who we are, what we're all about. Um, that's a great time to ask as many questions as you like about who we are and uh, this crazy church that you're uh, getting to experience. Um, also, if you sign up for an advanced lunch, which we are still doing those, and we would love for you to sign up for an advanced Memphis lunch. Advanced Memphis helps people with uh, GEDs and um, they have a Jobs for Life program, job placement, all kinds of things. They're uh, in the 38126 area uh, zip code. And uh, so if you are signing up for Advanced Memphis Lunch, which I would encourage you to do that, if you sign up, just know that our church takes Wednesdays. And so you may see um, all the other days listed, but we take uh, Wednesdays. Great. Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. Hear now uh, the words of the Lord as we continue in our series through Jonah. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published uh, through Nineveh 
by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Those are the very words of God. Amen? Amen. Well, I don't watch much TV, um, but I do watch a lot of sports, and there's a few shows that I may catch. Um, my, my, my channel of choice, my network of choice would probably be A&E. Anybody ever seen Duck Dynasty? Yeah, yeah. I got some hands raising. Um, that show is, Uncle Si is nuts. Uncle Si is crazy. I, I, I really love that show. Um, ever seen this show? It's called Hog Hunters. Ever seen that show? That show is crazy. Um, and I don't know what it is about shows like Duck Dynasty or Hog Hunters. I guess it's probably because I'm so much a city boy that I'm just intrigued by uh, those kinds of shows. Um, but also, uh, you ever seen First 48? That's another one of my shows. Uh, cra- not a recommendation. Um, as well. Uh, First 48, love that show. But one of my favorite shows uh, on on television, and I don't get to watch it very often, is a show called Intervention. Intervention. And so this show on intervention, a show called Intervention, this is a show about people who have, uh, they have intense struggles with addictions. They have these intense uh, struggles with addictions. And these struggles they have are literally um, borderline taking their lives. I mean, they show these pictures of uh, the before and the after person and all of this stuff. And, um, man, these people are, man, spending all of their resources. They have broken relationships because of their addictions. And my favorite part is the part where they confront the person with, uh, an addiction, and they call it the intervention. And so there's usually in a living room, sitting around uh, a, a couch or a table or something like that, just sitting around this thing and, and in this room, and um, th- there's the family members around, um, the loved ones, maybe mom or dad or whoever are closest to them. And so they have these letters in their hands, the family members do. And they read these letters to them and they they tell them what they're not going to do anymore if they don't put away the drugs. They tell them how they love them and they they tell them how how they need to turn away from from this drug and this addiction. And they they ask them, would you go to rehab? We love you with tears in our eyes. We we care for you. We don't want to see you die. And then the last person usually to speak is a professional counselor professional counselor, sitting there with the family. This counselor has heard all of the pleas from the family and the loved ones. And the words then from the counselor are usually something like this. It will get worse before it gets better. Here is your second chance. Will you go to rehab? It will get worse before it gets better. Here is your 
second chance, will you go to rehab? The person usually has to respond to that. I think what we're going to see this morning, folks, is we're going to see a guy who has a second chance. He's blown it the first time, and now God is giving him a second chance. A guy who had been running, and a guy who had went his own way, but God in his sovereign mercy is giving this guy a second chance. This morning I want to speak from the subject, God of second chances. But before we go to work, let's pray. God, thank you that you are God of second chances. Thank you, God, this morning that you are merciful, God. You give that, us that which we do not deserve. So, Father, I pray that you would be among us, that you would be here with us to speak to us, to draw us out of sin, to draw us out of pride, out of selfishness, out of greed, out of sexual sins, whatever it may be, be here, God, among us to draw us out of those things and closer to you. Father, I pray that you would have your way this morning. Father, that you would allow me to decrease, that you may increase. Father, my church doesn't need to hear my words. We need to hear it from you. So speak, Lord. Speak to us. And may we have ears to hear and eyes to see all those things that you would like to say and do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, let me just give you just kind of uh, um, the, the story, the back story from what's been happening over the last couple weeks. So we've been studying this guy named Jonah. And uh, Jonah has, he was given in chapter 1, he was given a specific call from God. Uh, God came to Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. And the word of the Lord said to Jonah, Arise, go to this city Nineveh, call out against Nineveh. Why? For their evil has risen up against me. Jonah, what did Jonah do? He turned his back on God and he ran. And one of the things we talked about was uh, how obedience will always take you further than you want to go. Disobedience will take you further than you want to go and it will always make you pay more than you're willing to pay. Jonah continued in his journey in running away from God. He found himself on a ship headed to Tarshish. Uh, God sent a mighty storm, a, a raging storm to this ship. The winds and the waves are going crazy. And, and the, the sailors on the ship, they're going nuts. They're like, what, what's happening here? They find out that it's because of Jonah. And Jonah says, you know what? Just, just kill me. Throw me overboard. And that's exactly what they do. They throw Jonah overboard. God sends this fish to swallow up Jonah, which we saw last week that this fish was a rescue for Jonah. Something that he may have thought was going to kill him. Something that he may have thought that was going to end his life was a rescue for him. And we said that sometimes God will send hardships and he will allow us to be in turmoil because he is rescuing us through those hardships and, and those turmoil. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three long days and three long nights before he decided to cry out to God. And we talked about the need for prayer. 
talked about the need to, to pray right away and, and not wait to depend upon the Lord. Jonah cried out to the Lord and he, sent, he said things like, salvation belongs to the Lord. And things like, only the Lord can bring us out of the pit. Jonah cried out those things in prayer and we could see glimpses of him beginning to get what's happening and to get this thing a little better. He cried out to the Lord and Jonah was spit out uh, of the belly of the fish. And directly before our passage in Jonah, what we see is that the Lord speaks to the fish. He vomits him out uh, on dry land. And one of the things we see is it's a repetitive message in this historical narrative. What we see is the God who holds the strings. And we've said this already, but it happens over and over again. We see this same theme, this same message, that God is the one who holds the strings. So Jonah uh, heard the word of the Lord sent by God. Then Jonah tried to run away from the word of the Lord, and he was on this ship, and God sent a storm. See, God is holding the strings all along. And when Jonah is thrown overboard, uh, God sends a fish to swallow up Jonah. All along the way, all along in the story, what we see is God is the one who holds the strings. Now, I want you to miss this. I want you to realize that even in your life and even in my life, God is the one who is in control. He, he holds the strings all throughout every aspect of our life. And until we realize that, we will fail miserably. We will fall on our faces until we realize that God is the one who holds the strings. That he holds the strings to our relationships, to our marriages, in parenting our children, even in struggles, even in hardships, failures, disappointments, successes. What we ought to realize is that God is the one who is in control. He is the one who holds the strings. What does it mean for us to to live in this reality? For us to live in this reality, we, we better understand that no matter what it is, whether it's a failure, whether it's a success, we realize that God is in control. So now we're not depressed. We're not stressed out because we don't have a need to worry Because we know that God is in control. He's holding the strings. Paul would say it this way in Colossians 1. I recognize that all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Is that your reality this morning? That all things, even your very life, is held together by the sovereign God. Is that your reality? He knows. He cares and he holds all things together. I want you to be able to do this. I want you to be able to spot the grace of God. And it's on all the pages of the story of Jonah. The grace of God is. Here you have a guy who was blatantly disobedient to God. You have a guy who clearly heard the voice of the Lord. He heard the voice of the Lord, and immediately, what did he do? He turned away. He turned away. You have a guy who ran from the mission that God had given him, and basically through his actions, he told God, 
you know what, God, I'm wiser than you are. God, I'm stronger than you are. And even still, get this, the word of the Lord came a second time. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Downtown, I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that I serve a God who is a God of second chances. And you know what? Not only do we serve a God of second chances, but we serve a God of another chance and another chance and another chance. That's the kind of God that we serve. That's the kind of God that Jonah experienced. He experienced the God of second chance. And this is so beautiful because the story of Jonah, get this, shows us the beautiful and the magnificent character of God. That's what it does. It shows us God's essence. It shows us God's character. And in God's character, what we see is that He is mercy. He has a holy mercy. He is merciful to Jonah. Jonah reveals to us the story of a merciful and a gracious God. See, one of the major points of emphasis here is that God desires to use His people to get work done. God desires to use his people to get work done. Don't miss this. Look at verse 2 with me. God repeats the same message to Jonah. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. And parenthetically, do you see how Jonah has been humbled a bit by his fish experience? The word of the Lord came to Jonah, and the next sentence is, Jonah did what God said. He, he's experienced some hardships, and he's been humbled a bit by his, his experiences. Anybody ever experienced God humbling them? When you knew you were wrong, or maybe you were rebelling against God, and God did something to let you know who was the boss. Jonah. Experience God humbling him. Remember the kind of place we're talking about. Here we're talking about Nineveh. Uh, and it's a, it's a really important city in Assyria. And remember what we said was Assyria was a place uh, filled with wars, having wars all the time. Uh, Assyria was also an extremely violent place. It was a perverse place. Um, Assyria would go into places and uh, they'd, they'd murder the men, they'd make them slaves, the ones that they wanted to keep. Uh, they would rape the women, they would uh, do away with the kids, uh, some gruesome things they would do to the children. This was a violent place. They were familiar with, with violence and brokenness and trouble. But they, they'd go into this place, they'd do heinous things, yet God sends Jonah in the midst of the proverbial wolves. You see this. He is a stranger in a foreign place, Jonah is. He is not a person that has it all together. Remember what happens here. So, so God speaks to the fish. The, spit, the fish spits Jonah out on dry land. And then the word of the Lord came. So the Bible doesn't necessarily clarify all that Jonah does in between getting spit out of a fish onto dry land and then going to do God's work. So this is not a guy who has it all together. Actually, I imagine Jonah walking into Nineveh. 
he probably uh, smells horrid. I mean, he probably smells like death. Here is a guy whose skin pigment has probably changed because of the acid in this fish's belly. This guy is probably messed up. He doesn't have it all together. And yet, get this, God sends him anyway. God sends Jonah anyway to do his work. Do you think God needed Jonah? Do you think God needed Jonah to accomplish his purposes? No. Why would he do such a thing anyway? Because God wanted to see Nineveh change. He wanted to see them come to repentance. But he also wanted to change Jonah through the process. See, there are some things that God is calling us to do. Do Does he need us? No. But does he want to change us in the process? Yes. Yes. He wants to use us. See, one of God's primary ways of getting things done is through his people. Through his people and especially the church. Um, The other day I was reading a letter from Birmingham jail by Dr. King. And this letter um, just struck me all over again. Um, I love stories from the civil rights movement. Um, and if you, know, if you don't know anything about the history of Dr. King's letter from Birmingham jail, um, Dr. King was protesting, of course, and uh, he was doing nonviolent protesting uh, in Birmingham because of segregation. And uh, they were having sit-ins and marches and things like that. Um, and he was written while he's in prison. He got locked up for protesting. Uh, and, and, and some of the clergymen, the local pastors, wrote Dr. King. And they said things like, Dr. King, wait. Um, your timing needs to be right. This is out of season right now. Wait before you go into action. And Dr. King wrote this letter responding to them. Some of the things he said was, injustice anywhere is a lack of justice everywhere. Um, and he would pin uh, these things, and he would talk about um, the brokenness in Birmingham. And he would talk about how, he said, you know what, you're calling me to wait, but if you saw your mothers and your fathers uh, being lynched, you wouldn't wait. He said, if, if you saw your, your brothers and your sisters being harmed, you wouldn't wait. You wouldn't wait. All of these things Dr. King would go on to say, and he said, you know what, uh, I'm ashamed, and it hurts me that the white southern church hasn't been more help to us. And what Dr. King was saying, in essence, he was saying, I'm here in Birmingham, I see this brokenness, I've experienced this brokenness, and I want to do something about it. I want to go into to action. I think that's Jonah's story here. See, God is sending him into brokenness. He's sending him as a a lamb amongst the proverbial wolves. And he's saying, do something about it, Jonah. And I would have to tell you, friends, that we are here in Memphis, Tennessee. Brokenness all around us. Fatherless. The fatherlessness is, is all around us. The hungry are all around us. The, the, the disparity in education is all around us. What is the church doing? God has sent 
his proverbial Jonas in Memphis, Tennessee, that we may affect change in this city. God said, I am putting a call on you. The word of the Lord came to downtown church to say, go into Memphis, Tennessee, for the brokenness has risen up before me. What will you do? What will you do? See, one of God's primary ways of getting things done is his people. So he's called us. He's set us apart to send us out in this city to affect change. That's our job. St. Jonah, St. Dr. King, sending you and me, sending us as well in this city. What I love about what God does with Jonah is God sends Jonah and he tells him in verse 2, he says, call out against it, get this, the message that I tell you. Call out against Nineveh the message that I tell you. See, this tells me that God is sending Jonah and he is making provision for everything that Jonah will need on the way. God is saying, Jonah, as you go, you are not on your own, but get this, I will be with you, Jonah. I will be with you. See, somebody needs to know that he is calling us to do some things, and maybe you've been running, but the time is now that you would be obedient to God and you would understand, that you would walk in the the knowledge that God has not left you. He's with you. He will give you everything that you need. He's with you. He's for you. He has already made provision for you like he did with Jonah. I told Jonah, I'm going to give you the message. You're not doing this in your own strength. I'm not sending you on your own, but I'm giving you the message. I'm going to make provision for you. I got your back. I'm not going to leave you nor forsake you. As you're doing my work, know that I got you. I'm with you. Lastly, and I've heard it said that a good preacher has three points. Well, today I only got two. Um, Lastly, we need to see that what God is really looking for is repentance and faith. Real simple. What God is really looking for is repentance and faith. Jonah goes to Nineveh. He preaches a sermon. He says, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. You know what? Um, I was studying this and I just cracked up laughing. I'm probably sitting in Starbucks and as I'm studying, I just cracked up laughing. Jonah says, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And people are crying and snotting and repenting and falling out. I'm just thinking to myself, Lord, I need a Jonah sermon. My goodness, like help a brother out. Um, I'm thinking, is it that easy? (laughs) Folks are falling out, repenting. Jonah only says a few words. Lord, I need a Jonah sermon. Um, But you can tell that God had ordained these folks for repentance. That he had already set it up. That they would walk in repentance. Look at the response. The Bible says the people of Nineveh believed God. 
They believed God. Then they fasted and put on sackcloth, which is a clothing a person is mourning. Uh, the, a person that would be mourning would wear sackcloth. Or uh, it, it would also be the kind of clothing that would be sacrificial because it would have prickly uh, fur on it. So uh, it was clothing of sacrifice. Um, they put on sackcloth. It would begin fasting because they were in repentance. The word even reached the king. See, the king rose from his throne. He, get this, removed his robe. He covered himself in sackcloth and he sat in ashes. That's another, I mean, I, <laughs> just imagine this guy taking off his royal regalia and sitting in ashes. Repentance. And just imagine the imagery there. Imagine the word picture there. The king is sitting on his throne. Sure, the throne just kind of has the connotations of, of wealth, of prestige, of power. But he arose from his throne. He took off his royal regalia. Put on sackcloth, the attire of a mourner, he sat in ashes. You see that? A person who is high up, he has authority. People act when he says something. What did he do once repentance happened? He humbled himself. And I would argue that that's what repentance ought to look like in our lives. Maybe we feel like we're a person of power. We're a person of prestige. But when God calls us to repentance, all of that stuff is thrown to the side and we humble ourselves. We humble ourselves. That's what the king did. This is a response of repentance. See, let me tell you this. There's a difference between regret and repentance. Regret says, man, I'm sorry I got caught. Uh, man, um, I messed up big. Uh, somebody's going to find out. Repentance says, I've hurt the heart of God. I've, I've trump, trampled over, over the, the divine nature of God. I've trampled on the character of God, the character of God that says he is a a redeemer and a merciful God. I've hurt the heart of God. See, one, regret is man-centered, while repentance is God-centered. There's a difference. Regret, um, man, I shouldn't have slept with him. I might get pregnant. Not married to this guy. Shouldn't have did that. I may get pregnant. Repentance says, God, I'm sorry. Because what I was really doing is giving and trying to find joy in that over you. There's a difference between the two. See, I believe the people of Nineveh are in repentance. They have humbled themselves before a holy and a righteous God. King comes off of his throne. See, repentance is... Turning away from evil. Turning away from evil. 
Um, one thing you need to know about me is um, I'm probably not the, the right person to call for directions. I get lost all the time. All the time. Um, I've been living here for six years, and I still get lost on the 240 loop, mind you. Uh, and there's some times, you know, where you know, I'm just driving along, I'm just hoping I'm going the right direction, and it hits me that I'm going the wrong way. And I will have to get off uh, an exit, I'm wasting gas. Y'all know they're asking for your firstborn for gas now. I ain't even got no kids yet, but I'm like, man. Um, I get off the exit, probably usually have to uh, get on uh, to over an overpass, drive over an overpass, and enter back on the highway. That's what repentance looks like. There's a point at which you realize, I'm lost. I, I, I'm going in the wrong direction. I'm, I'm headed in the wrong way. And you exit off, you cross over, and you begin to head in the right direction, which is towards God. That's repentance. That's what it looks like. Going in the wrong way. It's not regret. It's not man-centered. But it's more God-centered. Many of us are headed in the wrong direction. The question is, will we realize that we are headed in the wrong direction, and will we exit off, will we cross over the overpass, and will we enter onto the highway again, headed in the right direction? That's the question. People of Nineveh, they received God's compassion. They repented. I love the story um, of the prodigal son. The story of the prodigal son is uh, in the Gospels, And it's the story of the younger brother who basically took his inheritance prematurely. He took his inheritance. He said, Father, give me what belongs to me. I want it now. He took his inheritance and he went off squandering his inheritance. You can find him in the strip clubs. You can find him on the Vegas Strip in the raunchiest of places. You could find him squandering this money and he would find himself in a pig's pen eating the pig's food. Then he came to himself. He realized, I don't have to eat from a pig's pen. My father has plenty of food at home. He, he would realize when he was sleeping outdoors that I, I don't have to sleep outdoors My father has plenty of shelter at home. At home. And so what he did was he picked himself up when he came to and he began to journey home. But even before he got there, his father was waiting for him and looking out for him. Father met him in the driveway. Daddy embraced him. That's what a good dad does. He, he showed him compassion, told him he was waiting for him to come home. See, what this dad did was he delighted to show his son mercy. And that's what Jonah experienced. That's what the people of Nineveh experienced. And that's what God wants to, for us to experience as well. He wants to let us know 
that He delights in ones who have squandered off the inheritance. Maybe you found yourself in the pig pen of your own sin. God is saying, come home. I want to love on you again. I want to embrace you. I've been caring for you all this way. Come home. Come home. See, He loved us so much that He sent His only Son to give His life, to live, to die, and to shed blood on our behalf. And not just stop there, but He raised His Son from the dead because He was that compassionate. He loved us that much. He delighted in forgiving us and embracing us after our repentance that much. You know what I love about this story? I love that the people of Nineveh, get this, they believed God first. Then they put on sackcloth. Then they fasted. But the first thing was that they believed. They believed. And this is Memphis. Let me tell you that I don't care how much fasting you do, it won't save you. I don't care how much speaking in tongues you do, It will not save you. I don't care how much good you do. No good is good enough. It won't save you. But learn from the people of Nineveh. They believed. They believed. Will you believe today? Will you embrace a God who is compassionate? Will you embrace a forgiving God? They believed. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you love us enough to pursue us another time and another time and another time. Thank you for being the God of second chances. Father, we've experienced people and relationships who wouldn't give us a second shot after we messed up with them. But God, you are a God of second chances. And so, Father, I pray that you will not let those that are here who have been running, I pray you will not let them rest until they come to repentance. I pray there will be an acknowledgement of your control. They will let go of the reins, let you have your way. They will submit to you. They will love you. They will walk in repentance, turning in the right direction. Thank you for your love this morning. Thank you for your grace that immerses us, that covers us. Thank you for your blood, Jesus, that was precious for us, that gives us life. And thank you for your resurrection. For because of your resurrection, sin and death has been conquered. It is no more. It doesn't have the victory any longer. And though we may struggle with sin, though we may experience death, you ultimately will have the victory over sin and death. Thank you for that, Father. Pray that we would be people like the Ninevites who believed. Father, I pray for my church. Father, I pray for those who would say, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Pray you would be with them too this morning. 
Father, draw us closer to you. And now, God, I pray that you would bless the offerings that we're about to receive. I pray that you would use them for your kingdom as you send us out in this city, in neighborhoods like Douglas and Binghampton and Uptown and uh, Midtown and West Memphis. As you send us out as your proverbial Jonah's, Father, I pray that you would give us the resources to do all that you would have for us to do. That you would bless us. You would bless the work of our hands as the psalmist wrote. Thank you for a family of faith. People who love you and seeking you diligently. And I pray that you would Father, seal those commitments that have been made to you today. Don't let us go astray, Lord. Keep us. Watch over us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.